Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Well, good morning. Um, for those of you in Minnesota, uh, the stay-at-home, I don't know, are they calling them orders? I think so. The stay-at-home executive order by the governor has been extended. Um, so we are going to be together uh, this way for a little while longer. Um, for those of you who already know how to listen at home, could you teach other people how to do that? If you've already figured out how to listen online at MyFaithRadio.com or you have figured out how to listen uh, via the Faith Radio app, or you have figured out how to listen um, via, you know, Roku on TuneIn. Hey, Paul, remind me if they go to tune if they go to the TuneIn app on Roku on their TVs, what are they specifically looking for? Right. Okay. If you go to the TuneIn app, look for Faith Nine Hundred because right, that so was that's the original station for the Faith Radio Network, and you can listen to it from there. All right. So if you um, if you you know have a Roku TV then what you're looking for on the TuneIn app is Faith 900. That's another way that you can listen to Faith Radio at home. Um, And if you already know how to do this, you know how to listen at home, could you help other people figure that out? That would be such a blessing to me. Um, So you can just send them the link to to MyFaithRadio.com if they have some kind of connected device. You can also teach them how to enable Alexa or to ask Google Home to play Faith Radio. There's all kinds of ways to do it. You can go to the website, MyFaithRadio.com, and um, and learn how to listen at home. You can also find information today um, on an event that Susie Larson and I are doing tonight at MyFaithRadio.com at 7 p.m. Central. So you can get all of the information about that live event, which is happening tonight, Uncommon Love, a, fe- a special live stream event. Susie Larson and I are going to reflect on the events of this day, uh, Maundy Thursday, the last day that Jesus you know, walked upon, uh, upon the earth, uh, or at least the last night that he did, because tomorrow is Good Friday, and we will obviously observe the events of Cal- Calvary and the cross. Um, okay, so all kinds of great stuff in front of us, including Peter Kapsner, who's up next. He and I are going to talk about, well, possibly, 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 I almost don't want to say it out loud, Major League Baseball, maybe, 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 possibly going to start up a season in May? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Peter Kapsner is back. You can follow him on Twitter, although he doesn't post anything, <laughs> at Dr. Peter Kapsner. Hi. Peter, hey, how, Carmen, are you? how are you? I'm well. I'm well. It is well with my soul. It's Holy Week. We have been observing um, the 
the walk of Christ through this week with his disciples as a family. It's been a really rich time. How about you? Yeah, you know, it's different, obviously, for all of us, right? I mean, and especially in a Holy Week like this, we, uh, as a family, have sort of circled around some of um, Richard Rohr's early material. He's a he's a Catholic priest who, uh, you know, he's, he has had some interesting writing that I might have a little bit more trouble with these days, um, but, uh, but maybe 15, 20 years ago, he wrote a series of responses to Wild at Heart, uh, a John Eldridge book um, that some of our listeners are probably familiar with, that really talked about how we had to know that we had what it takes and we had to kind of walk through initiation and and make sure that we became grown-ups in American culture, uh, proving that we have what it takes. And, and Rohr took a little issue with that, saying, but the Christian life is a lot about surrender and it's a lot about yielding and it's a lot about submission. And so he had five principles that he wrote back then, things like, you know, maybe you're not as important as you think you are. Um, you are going to die. Life can be painful. It was it was a series of things. And we're walking through that with actually our family this week, kind of one by one each day as we've been walking through Holy Week and wondering what is this kingdom in which we are in and, and what are the values um, that it really espouses and, and how do we see those values most manifest in some of the beautiful and horrific and wonderful and victorious and difficult events of this week, because it really does represent so much of life, what Jesus did when he decided to walk it out to the cross and, and when he then obviously conquered death and the tomb is empty and that's what we celebrate. So it's a different week, obviously, because we often celebrate these kinds of things with our friends and family. And, and uh, we just don't do as much of that, obviously, right now. I love, um, I love the creative ways that people are sort of doing it themselves, the, the, the do-it-yourself version of all kinds of things. I had a conversation last night with some moms on a, on a Zoom call we do once a week, and yeah. they're just, you know, they're just creatively trying to approach, how, you know, all of these, uh, the things that their kids thought they would be doing for Easter and in the lead-up to Easter, and that they're not doing those things. So what are we going to do instead? And um, so I just appreciate your sharing that. Um, Major League Baseball, that is something that many people would be paying attention to right now if it were happening you have a little news for us. Well, yeah, it's been really interesting in the last 48 hours or so. I, I, obviously, there's quite a bit of financial motivation for Major League Baseball to figure out a way to get its product onto the field, given the billions of dollars that are at stake. And uh, and so <clears throat> beyond that, there, there's obviously the sense that they want to have some sense of normalcy return to the United States of America in terms of some of the rituals in which we, many people engage each year. And, and this is that time. I mean, early April is the time typically where we have the NCAA basketball championships happening. We have the Masters golf tournament happening. And then you have the kickoff of the Major League Baseball schedule. And there is no Masters golf. Uh, there is no, obviously, NCAA tournament. <clears throat> but what they are talking about is, is there a possibility down in Arizona where all of the spring training happens for the National League uh, and some American League teams as well? Could they go to all of these complexes where they have maybe 10 or 11 Major League Baseball caliber fields and they could just play each day? They could actually play double and triple headers uh, each day of the teams. And what they would do is they would quarantine each team in its own hotel, uh, the entire staff, all the trainers, all the coaches. They would be bringing in food each day. The players would have to get tested every single day, and then they would head out to one of these 10 or 11 ballparks in Arizona, and they would play one or two games, and uh, baseball would basically then be televised all day long, probably starting at 10 o'clock in the morning central time and all the way through maybe 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night. And they're thinking that maybe they can start the season that way and quarantine off the players and, um, and, and keep the stadiums empty 
the players would actually have to sit six feet away from each other in the dugout, which I kind of find interesting that they would need to do that because if they're doing all of this testing, do they also need to social distance at that time? They're even talking about players. I'm just so you know that I played softball like growing up. Right. That that was my sport. And I am um, I'm just imagining somebody running toward home plate (laughs) and the catcher. Right. And I have the ball and I'm like, social distancing. This is my plate. You cannot come within six feet of this plate. Yeah, well, it's I'm so just, funny you know, bringing and, that up because that's you're, the downside, You're feeling right? like the batter, the batter, the catcher, and the umpire, that is a six-foot circle. Everybody is inside the six-foot circle right there. So that part, I don't know about that particular part. But otherwise, yeah. I love this idea. No, it's 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 fabulous. I, I But that's your point. They're saying, can we tag the runners? I mean, how, how do we do uh, this? And, and clearly they wouldn't high five after home runs and all of that. So there's a lot of things they have to sort out. But I would give it a better than 50 50 chance of getting started somehow at this point. And so you and I, how many people are in your house? There. How many how many people are in your house? We have seven of us. Okay, so that's like almost one side of a baseball. Like, like okay. we're almost so there. there. Could yeah. you make? Could you? Do you think that you could make some kind of a video with your family? Sort of just, just the part of this. This is the parts of this that maybe need some uh, working out. Like the part of of home plate, right? And you could post it yeah. somewhere. You could post this video somewhere. Work work this out for us. You know, what does it look like uh, when the when the pitcher pitches the ball and you know there's a batter and a catcher and an umpire all in proximity to each other? How does that work out? And then how does it work out when you know there's a person on first base? How we like you know in the when you lead off and then you both yes. run back to the bag to try to like what does that part look like? I think that the social distancing thing could be kind of funny. I think you know my and my son's in little league right now, right? And they can't lead off in his league yet, but now he would have oh. the chance, right? Yes, he, he, we would, he, would, we would, he would almost we would need encourage to encourage him to lead off. Would, yeah. And then that whole rundown thing, like the whole thing right. would look like a rundown. You know where they're like separated from each other in the middle of a base. Uh, in, you get my, you're seeing the video in in your I mind, right? You're seeing I, I it get, work out. We've okay. got a baseball park. Could you uh, get half on a mile that? From our house. So, yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Could you get, that sounds like could a you get great on way to spend your time. Totally, absolutely. Okay, so you and I have to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about much more serious things. <laughs> um, I don't know what they are, but we're going to talk about much more serious things in just a moment with Peter Kapsner. We'll be right back. All right, continuing my conversation with Dr. Peter Kapsner. Oh, you can follow him on Twitter. Is it going to have a? He's going to have a series of videos posted there at some point. <laughs> okay, I love um, the idea. Peter, um, cancel culture. First of all, remind us what cancel culture is, and then um, we're reading that cancel culture might be coming to Christianity. What is this all about? Yeah, cancel culture is is sort of the extreme byproduct of a, of a, of a social tolerance. It's the whole tolerance movement and what we tolerate. And so cancel culture seeks to identify what uh, it perceives to be maybe hate speech or hate statements, um, things that would threaten and, and maybe um, oppress people. So it, it's sort of intolerance has met a, a warped view of social justice, has met a real power over approach to shut people down that they might disagree with. All right. And when we talk about applying that uh, potentially to Christianity, what are we talking about here? What is cancel culture in terms of coming to Christianity? Yeah, well, of course, we've obviously seen some some significantly shifting morals or uh, globally even in a lot of places, especially in the Western culture in particular, around homosexuality. And so 
when there's uh, anybody who might disagree with sort of the mainstream global view these days of um, embracing same-sex marriage, for example, if if a church might say that, hey, we believe in a traditional marriage arrangement between man and woman, we're going to espouse that, we're going to advocate for it, and, and we're going to say out loud that we do such things, cancel culture can come into the midst of that and try to shut that down. And historically, Carmen, obviously, there should be a separation of state and church. And so the church should have among any, you know, maybe most profoundly among different institutions, the right to say and to share what they believe to be true related to their faith. And what happened here, and, and I think it's it's one of those noteworthy little seeds that might blossom uh, in some ways that would be pretty devastating to a lot of different churches in terms of what they can do um, in, in, in their speaking. Uh, an organization called Destiny Church was planning a three-day conference in uh, Edinburgh in Scotland, and one of the advertised speakers, he's a preacher in the United States, Larry Stockstill, was going to go ahead and espouse that traditional view of marriage, that it's uh, that homosexual behavior is not accepted by God. And the Edinburgh City Council actually shut him down and said that this was uh, hate speech at this point, and they couldn't hold then that conference. And this is an example where the state, this being the, the city council, really overrode the rights of free speech within the church. And that's a concerning development, um, whether that takes wings and, and manifests in different places around the United Kingdom and ultimately begins to manifest in different places from there. It's hard to say. But boy, oh boy, it's a it's a scary development when the when the state can start to shut down the church. I mean, that's what they do in places, obviously, like communist communist China and Russia and other parts of the world. But in a free society, that's not supposed to happen. So as another part of this conversation, um, we're aware that the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association has had eight venues in the UK um, cancel contracts uh, with uh, Franklin Graham and the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association um, from pressure from LGBTQ activist groups. So these um, these UK public tour events um, have all, I mean, they were all canceled um, because of because of pressure, not not because of coronavirus. Now, they would have probably been canceled at this point because of the coronavirus. Yeah, of But course. what we're seeing here in terms of the cancel culture are venues that are, you know, they're doing the calculus and they're saying it is better for us to break a contract with a ministry as as globally well known as the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Um, better better for us to be sued and go to court and have to pay a penalty if necessary um, than to than to have to live with the LGBTQ activist uh, backlash that would occur if we were to allow our space to be used in this way. So I would say in the future, they're just very unlikely to enter into contracts with anyone or any organization that appears to them to uphold a biblical standard um, when it comes to the definition of marriage. I think that's exactly right. And and if you think about it in this way, uh, if a cancel culture act, if you're a cancel culture activist, and again, you and I could have long conversations about the appropriateness of social justice and the need for it. But when it takes on this sort of warped and weird form of it, if you're a cancel culture activist, you have to find things that are either real or perceived that need to be canceled. And so that that's part of the energy that drives you. And if I'm an organization like you just mentioned, like the the Billy Graham organization, 
I, I'm going to be aware that there's going to be people that as soon as I open my mouth, that is going to completely energize them and and sort of the teeth and the fangs are going to get bared from this cancel culture activist. And you're 100 percent right. Why would I go into the into the mouth of that particular situation? And so it is effective whether we want to agree with it or not. And of course, I don't the whole cancel culture. Uh, it's pretty effective in what it does. And this is what begins to drive uh, organizations underground in terms of how they practice and what they say. Yeah. So, you know, when you, when you think about evangelism and you think about the kinds of um, of big stadium events, let's say, that take place frequently here in the United States, um, this is this going to be an interesting conversation. It's one thing for it to be happening in the UK. It's another thing when it starts happening here in the US and people sort of begin paying more attention to it. There's a lot yeah. out there right now at the intersection of faith and the coronavirus and public figures making um, making statements or writing articles. You and I both read one by John Kasich uh, in the USA Today. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a renewing of faith. It's a reflection on God and what matters. Um, we're seeing this not only by uh, former Governor Kasich, but we're seeing it by others. Yeah. And, you know, this is a beautiful article that we read. I, I highly recommend for the people listening this morning to search it out. As you reference, it's in USA Today. If you just uh, Google Governor Kasich and and uh, read some of this article, it, you know, I, I would say it this way. You can kind of sniff it out sometimes when people really do have an authentic faith, when there really is something as they communicate that is an abiding reality within them. And just even the way he writes and, and the way the words are coming off the page as you read about his own struggle with how he has processed this coronavirus and how it just sort of exploded on the world like that. He, he was very raw in saying that at first it, it really brought him down. It, it, led, it left him anxious, a little bit depressed. Uh, he even questioned his view of God. And, and what I appreciate about him saying that is I think he was voicing and articulating how many of us might respond that, yes, we are truly followers of Jesus, but that doesn't mean we are exempt from some of these things and some of these responses that happen when confronted with such a, a global pan pandemic like this. And so he writes pretty articulately about that part of it. But then as he begins to reverse course and remember who he is and whose he is and, and, and talking with a, uh, a father priest friend of his uh, to remind him that there is this great hope in the Christian faith and that we can access that hope that is as real as the depression and the anxiety as we might feel in these situations, that hope is also real. And he talked about these things that he returned to ultimately in his journey as he, as he started trying to figure out, so what do I actually really believe and what do I think and, and what are the values that I carry? And he talked about aligning his head and his heart with his faith. And he started talking about things like uh, the old rugged cross. And one day he'll lay down his honors and his trophies in exchange for the crown. And he's got a promise of eternal future and it's real. And and then he can share that with his friends as well. And it really brought a sense of solidarity and purpose and meaning in the midst of it. And I think that's the invitation here for so many of us that maybe this virus has slowed us down a little bit and, and maybe we can't do all the things that we're so used to doing. And he talked about that a bit and it got him re-engaged again with the values that he has had all along, but get covered over just by the busyness of life and sort of the craziness with which we run sometimes. Uh, and it's a really beautiful article that I think it could be useful in these uh, three or four days here of Holy Week that we have remaining. So again, it's it's at usatoday.com. Um, it's entitled Kasich, K-A-S-I-C-H, for those of you searching for it, Kasich, the coronavirus made me doubt my faith until I realized it was there all along. It's an opinion 
piece posted on the 4th of April. Peter, we have to leave it right there. Um, thank you so much um, for who you are and for being my friend and for being with us week in and week out here on uh, on the morning show. Give my affection to your, to your bride and to your family um, on this most holy of weeks and certainly over this Easter weekend. Yeah, you do the same, Carmen. You guys bring me such encouragement and, and joy in life, and I really appreciate the two of you. Likewise. Thank you, man. We'll be right back. Employment numbers are literally just in. Um, an additional 6.6 million Americans have applied for unemployment benefits. And so we're now looking at a full 10 percent of the American labor force out of work. Um, and, and let me just pause and say the economic impact is huge. Obviously, we recognize that. But let me also just acknowledge that the psychological impact of losing your job or having to be the person who lays another person off in the midst of all of this, the psychological, emotional and relational impact of all of this is enormous. Let's be really sensitive to one another. Let's be very sensitive to how hard this is for people. Um, Let's be building one another up in prayer. Let's be encouraging one another um, as we walk together through this experience. Um. Next up, I am talking with Scott Sauls. He's a pastor. He's also an author. We're going to talk about his brand new book, which is entitled A Gentle Answer, Our Secret Weapon in an Age of Us Against Them. Uh, We'll also talk about how he as a pastor is responding to all of the dynamic changes in our culture today. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. This is Max Locato. How does God accept us? Well, I know how he accepted me. I was a 20-year-old troublemaker on a downhill path. I'd spent five years claiming to be God's son on Sunday mornings and buddying with the devil on Saturday nights. I was a hypocrite, two-faced, too fast and self-centered. I was lost. But when I finally grew weary of sitting in the pig slop, I got wind of God's grace. I came to Jesus and He welcomed me back. He didn't gloss over the self-centered Max I'd manufactured. He didn't accept my sinful behavior, but he accepted me, his wayward child. He accepted what he could do with me. He didn't tell me to clean up and then come back. He said, come back. I'll clean you up. He accepts us. May we accept others in the same way. This is Max Lucado. Joining me now is Scott Sauls. He's the senior pastor of Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, co-founding pastor of the Nashville Institute for Faith and Work, author of Jesus Outside the Lines, Befriend, From Weakness to Strength, and Irresistible Faith. Um, And he previously served alongside Tim Keller at Redeemer Presbyterian Church in uh, in Manhattan. He's uh, got—there are just like a thousand things Scott and I could talk about today— Technically, we're supposed to be talking about his brand new book, which is going to be released at the very beginning of June, A Gentle Answer, Our Secret Weapon in an Age of Us Against Them. But I suspect our conversation will range about a bit. Scott Sauls, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Uh, Hello, Carmen. Good to be with you again. Well, it's wonderful to have you here. Um, I am um, I'm sensitive to all of the 
myriad topics you and I could talk about today. We could talk about what you're hearing from your friends in Manhattan. We could talk about the um, the unemployment numbers that were just released, where we're now facing a full 10 percent of the U.S. population, um, you know, experiencing unemployment that is totally unexpected. And what that, you know, what that does to sort of our faith, uh, life, work sense of ourselves. Um, let's start with what we're supposed to be talking about, and then let's move to those other subjects. Is that okay with you? Uh, follow your lead. <laughs> Thank you, sir. That was a very gentle answer. Mm. So the book is A Gentle Answer, Our Secret Weapon in an Age of Us Against Them. First of all, the title, A Gentle An- Answer, comes mm. from what, and why do we need a secret, secret weapon? Well, it comes from uh, a proverb uh, in the Old Testament that uh, says that a gentle answer turns away wrath. And uh, the, I guess the motivation for writing the book is, is the polarized climate that we're in, uh, where uh, there's so much uh, taking sides and uh, you know, partisan division in, in the world of politics, but also in uh, conversation about uh, issues that matter uh, to people, and uh, there just seems to be uh, an escalating uh, dynamic of of taking sides, choosing enemies. Uh, uh, you know, this new phrase "cancel culture" has has emerged, where people cancel each other out and shut each other out, and and refuse to uh, enter into respectful discussion and dialogue anymore. And, uh, it's just gotten kind of ugly. And I, I think that, that Christians have a great opportunity, especially to enter into that, uh, that climate, uh, with a different posture. Uh, it's the kind of posture that, that comes from, from being loved and forgiven and pursued and, and cared for by Christ himself, which of course should gentle us and, and turn us into, uh, people who resemble, you know, the the Beatitudes, blessed are the meek, uh, you know, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, uh, blessed are the merciful, and so on. So gentleness is sort of the overarching uh, uh, concept for that. So taking advantage of um, the fact that nothing happens by accident, um, and the fact that you and I are talking on this particular day, Maundy Thursday, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and just with our kids this week, you know, one of the texts that we have read early in the week, I think we read it on Monday, was Jesus entering into the temple, turning over the tables of the money changers. Let's talk yeah. about the difference between um, godless outrage, right, which, mm-hmm. you know, this cancel yeah. culture kind of conversation, and a biblically righteous anger. Yeah, and there's actually a whole chapter in the book uh, about that. I'm glad you asked. Um you know, the, I think the the title of the chapter is "Doing Anger Well." Uh, there's a command uh, that that that's in the Psalms, and then it shows up again in Ephesians, where uh, I think our our English translations say, "In your anger, do not sin." But if you go to the literal New Testament Greek, uh, the original language, it says, "Be angry, uh, but sin not." It's it's an imperative. It's it's a command uh, to to get angry at certain things, and uh, you know, Paul interprets that in Romans where he says, hate what is evil and cling to what is good. And just the, the, if if you, if you cling to something good, you have to hate, uh, what threatens it. You have to hate what opposes it. Right. And, and, um, you know, the, the, the key is to, to make sure that our anger is targeted at the right things. 
uh, you know, things that, that bring violence and injustice and, and pain to uh, our fellow human beings, for instance. We should be angry at the coronavirus and, and fighting it with all of our might. You know, C.S. Lewis said that Christianity is a, is a fighting religion uh, because we see things that are wrong in the world and, and we fight uh, for the good. And that's why uh, the hospital was invented by Christian people. That's why uh, all of the Ivy League universities, except for one, were founded by Christians. Orphan care was, uh, you know, first uh, initiated by George Mueller, a, a believer, because of his faith in Christ. The civil rights movement. I mean, it, it goes on and on and on. You look at, you look at all the, the major movements where evil has been attacked uh, in all of its forms, and you'll see Christians there taking the lead. Uh, in the same way that that, uh, that 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 Christian organizations have set up tents in Central Park in New York City to fight the coronavirus, where where people are most vulnerable because of the population density. And so, um, so yes, thank you for pointing that out. Uh, hate what is evil uh, and cling to what is good. Uh, but the, the, the important thing is that we don't hate our neighbor and that we don't channel our hatred toward, toward other people. Because Jesus said even, you know, love your enemies and, and pray for those who persecute you. And so it's, it's the evil that we want to attack, not the person. We're going to continue our conversation with Scott Sauls in just a moment. Um, as we as we turn to the events of uh, tonight, the betrayal, um, the the foot washing, the Last Supper, uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, Judas's um, oh, betrayal, Peter's denials, the arrest, the abuse, the mockery, and Jesus's gentleness in the face of it all. Um, let's talk about when we come back, Scott. Um, examples of when Jesus behaved with gentleness and others did not, using um, you know using obviously the events of these next 24 hours as a um, as a good place to start. I'm talking with Scott Sauls. He's a pastor. He's also an author. The book is A Gentle Answer: Our Secret Weapon in an Age of Us Against Them. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Pastor Scott Sauls, the book is A Gentle Answer, Our Secret Weapon in an Age of Us Against Them. Uh, it releases in a couple of weeks. You can pre-order it now so that you'll be, you know, the first among those to get it. Um, Scott, let's talk about some scriptural examples of how Jesus behaves with gentleness or responds with gentleness, obviously when others do not. Well, there there are plenty of them. I mean, take a look at the way he treats sexually broken people, for instance, uh, the woman caught in the act of adultery, the woman in Luke chapter 7 who washes his feet with her hair. Um, you know, you, you never uh, see a picture of Jesus scolding or shaming somebody who's been caught in sexual sin. Instead, he treats them with, with, with tenderness. Uh, he even defends them against the scolding religious uh, shouts uh, and, and, you know, the, the people who want to put her to death in, in uh, John chapter 8, the woman caught in the act of adultery. Jesus, Jesus is so tender, but, but he also, uh, you know, he says, I don't condemn you now, leave your life of sin. And so, so it's, it's sort of law and love, truth and, um, uh, you know, truth and grace as, as well as, uh, hey, I've got a healthier path for you. Uh, you've got, of course, the famous, you know, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest in Matthew 11. I think the, the picture of the father in Luke chapter 
15 is a picture of Christ himself who welcomed all kinds of sinners and ate with them, where he's waiting gently to, to receive the prodigal son as he comes home. But he's also kind to, to the, the mean, angry, uh, ugly-spirited elder brother. He, he entreats him. Uh, and, and so, um, you know, I, I could go on and on. There, there are a hundred other examples of Christ in the four Gospels, but, but he, he was meek. Uh, the cross is, is, is itself a, a great picture of his, his humility and his meekness and self-restraint, uh, even when the outrage of, of people and of the world was poured out against him for no reason. So Scott, let's um let's transition um to just some observations as a pastor about what we're experiencing and enduring. Um, your congregation will not be gathering uh, this coming Sunday. That will be unusual um, for you. It will be unusual for everyone else as well. Um, just just talk about that. And then, um, what are you hearing from your friends and colleagues in Manhattan? Yeah, so uh, so pastor's worst nightmare: empty sanctuary on Easter Sunday. But uh, uh, you know, the, the past few weeks and, and this coming Easter, our, our congregation actually will be gathering, but but gathering online. Uh, thank the Lord for the, the incredible technology we have that enables us now to do things like live stream uh, and putting our services online. And so we'll be doing our full service and our, our people have been very uh, engaged in that during this season, while also being eager to get back to gathered worship when that time comes. But uh, in, in terms of, uh, of our New York friends, um, you know, the last one I talked to said that his next door neighbor died from, from the coronavirus and his wife, who was a nurse, had contracted it. And, and so uh, it's, it's a big deal there. And, um, you know, it's not just, quote unquote, the flu. There, there, have, been, uh, there have been thousands of people who have died, uh, not just older people, not just immunocompromised people. Uh, but but even young people in their teens, uh, you know, this this disease hits certain people in different ways, and just the the concentration of it in New York is uh, you know makes New York especially vulnerable, uh, um, and so you know those efforts and, and all the you know all the the cries for social distancing uh, comes from a real place of, of of families being shattered and and people people's lives being turned upside down by this virus and so it's it's very important to you know listen and take seriously the instructions we're given so Scott, I know that one of your points of passion and um, one of the really significant ministries that you um, you know i don't know you you house it, you shepherd it um, is the Institute for Faith and Work. Um, just give a word of uh, of encouragement today, and maybe a suggested um, place for resources for people who find themselves, um, you know, freshly unemployed. Uh, yeah, I mean, gosh, what do you say? Uh, I mean, uh, I guess I would start with, I'm so sorry. Uh, there, there are so many people who, you know, just just two months ago uh, were in a place where they felt like their lives were stable and and well provided for and and now all these layoffs and and the job market doing what it's doing and and the reports say it could keep getting worse um, because of what this has done to the economy and so you know i would say you know at least in our context um you know we've we've set up a, a care system in our church that, that involves staff members as well as volunteers and counselor networks and so on um, but I think my, my word would be more, probably because it's more my expertise, would be more to, to pastors and leaders and people who are in a position where, 
where people come to you when they need care and when they're in crisis to to get ready for it, to start preparing now, because it's only going to get worse in terms of unemployment in the in the not too distant future. And so we just need to be ready with with the resourcing and with the people and the care systems in place, um, and you know, minister to to people as as they come. And uh, you know, for some that means uh, providing funds for benevolence. For others, it means creative. Uh, you know, job creation uh, for those who, you know, maybe haven't been as hit hard economically for businesses and other organizations. But I don't know. I mean, it's a big question mark. We've never seen the kinds of unemployment numbers that they're talking about uh, uh, that we should anticipate, at least in our lifetime. And so uh, I wish I was was smarter in terms of how to resolve it. Uh, but I do think we need to be more care, uh, caring and kind and compassionate toward our neighbor because it's it's going to get worse before it gets better. It seems. Um, thank you for the uh, thank you for the honesty uh, and thank you for the reminder that you know every congregation is a is a family and we need to be caring you know for those within the family of faith and then we also need to be really prepared to extend um, grace and mercy and blessing to our neighbors. Um, you know, I, I feel like there's a there's a revival um, right at the edge of this. And so um, preparing, preparing for the ways in which God is going to draw people unto himself in the midst of this and to be the church that's ready to receive them um, in, in love and gentleness and, and to respond with the beauty of the gospel. Part of that is going to be um, physical and financial help. And so um, thank you for all of that. Um, Scott, I want to direct people to ChristPres.org if they want to participate in, in the services that are being provided online and the other great mm-hmm. things you guys have posted there. Again, the book is A Gentle Answer, Our Secret Weapon in an Age of Us Against Them. Uh, it'll be released in just a few weeks. Today's a good day, though, to be thinking about that. How how am I going to take one step in the direction of gentleness? And the first step might be to uh, to look in the mirror and recognize just how much mercy and grace we have received, um, and that it's fresh and new every morning for us, and it should be fresh and new every morning through us to others. Scott, uh, thank you as always um, for joining us today and for what you do each and every day to advance the gospel. Thank you, Carmen. Appreciate talking to you. Absolutely. We'll be right back. Okay, friends, uh, take a deep breath today. Consider, consider Christ. Consider Christ in a fresh and new way today. Consider what Christ has done for you. Um, put your feet in a basin of water um, and just acknowledge that you are washed and in Christ you are clean. Take the bread in the cup and break it and drink it and eat it. And acknowledge the new covenant sealed in Christ's blood. And yes, the grief of not being with the fellowship of the people of God in the midst of doing those things. If you are um, with others, you know, you're, you're not living totally by yourself. You're, you're, uh, you're with others. Do that with and for one another. Wash one another's feet today. Break the bread and share the cup. Um, this is the Passover in a new way, in Christ Jesus, who is the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Spend time in, uh, in the final chapters of any of the Gospels 
And join Susie Larson and I at 7 p.m. tonight at MyFaithRadio.com for an hour of reflection upon John 13 to 18. That's at 7 p.m. Central. You just log on to MyFaithRadio.com. I'll see you right there tonight. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.